Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. My name is Joe Hilliard. I'm but one of three, joined, of course, by Carlos Cooper and Dave Gurney. It's a real emphasis on failure. Um, <laughs> I, was, I, I vowed to myself the last time I did the intro that I would never flub it up again. So I'm, I'm reading it. Okay. There is a sentence, a turn of phrase in that thing that messes me up. Yeah. Um, it's a mouthful. Yeah. And uh, David, you can tell by his voice and audio quality, is joining us via Zoom again tonight. David, how a couple more weeks of that, right? Yeah, I think I think we I think we maybe have uh, one that we are going to pepper in there that we recorded before I took off. But yeah, I'm I'm out of town right now, so um, so you're getting the remote version. But but I hope uh, that that doesn't uh, do anything to degrade the quality of my insights. I don't think it. I don't think it should. No, they're just as uh, lame as usual. <laughs> Speaking of just as lame as usual, I'm going to open a Please. beer uh, so that we. Uh, <laughs> is bone dry for too long and this one uh quite to the contrary is not lame at all it's from a renowned uh brewery um and this can came my way courtesy of our good friend daniel it's from treehouse uh brewing company out of uh charlton massachusetts it's an american double ipa and Look, if uh, I mean Daniel, my fucking guy, right, came through with a great tie-in. This is called Electric Skies. Woo! Beauty knocked it out of the park. Electric Skies is an American double IPA brewed with ultra pale mop uh, malt. Ultra pale malt. I'm already going. I'm 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 so excited about the hops that I'm already. <laughs> join malt and hops and hops coming out of my mouth anyway ultra pale malt and a combination of nelson galaxy and citra hops in an extremely heavy dose pouring a turbid yellow color in the glass and emanating potent notes of Sauvignon Blanc, uh orange juice passion fruit mango lychee electric skies is an electric beer uh that is sure to please your palate keep it icy cold at all times uh and you'll be rewarded with a potent and juicy hop Bill Delight, 8% ABV. Very nice. I'm going to crack this bad boy and thank God Joe has decided to opt out of the beer today because I don't have to share a single drop of this. It's our very first time up in the treehouse. Treehouse Is it really? brewing. We have not been there before. Wow. Ooh, I wish I was there to be sharing that with you, Carlos. What are you bringing to the mix statement all the way across the country? Right. So, um, you know, it's funny, Carlos is kind of in proximity to where I am with his beer, uh, but but I'm get, getting even closer to where I am with this beer that I'm having uh, from Mason's Brewing Company out of Brewer, Maine, and I think that's probably a first for the show. I only had my first Mason's beer last summer myself when I was uh, visiting Maine. I actually visited the brewery, had a great experience there, had some great food, um, some delicious beverages, and even brought a few cans back uh, with me to, to enjoy while I was in Maine. I don't think any made it back all the way to Corpus Christi, though. I don't know if they will this year either. We'll find out. But what I can say for sure is that this can will be my drink for this evening's uh, or, or this episode's uh, proceedings. And that is their beer called Cranthrax. It is a sour ale brewed with sea salt and cranberries. Um, pretty you know, badass looking can art. I don't know if you guys can see that very well or not, but yeah. it's kind of cool, red, red over black. Um, 
these cool hops and I don't know. It's 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 a whole thing. But um I'm I'm excited to try it. I can't think of a cranberry sea salt sour ale that I've ever had before. So, I can't think of ever encountering cranberry and sea salt together in any in any form or fashion. Yeah, it sounds great. I'm I'm big curious to know how that works out for you. Well, I will I will let you know when we get done talking about uh today's first movie. Um which say that again i said which is <laughs> which is the uh 2022 release from the marvel cinematic universe one of our favorite places to visit y'all know that it is the newest edition uh, or a, the newest uh addition to this universe and that is thor colon love and thunder um from a favorite director of the show and i know a lot of our listeners will already know this but you know one of the reasons why and i was being a little bit cheeky when i said we love going to the marvel cinematic universe i think we've all kind of lamented that we're stuck there in some ways we can't quit it it's you know we're we're al pacino and godfather three they keep pulling me back that you know whatever version of that story you want to tell we feel like we're trapped in it and part of that is because they employ these amazing directors like chloe zhao and taika watiti in this case um returning to the thor uh series he did the ragnarok film just a few years back um one one that got you know high praise from a lot of quarters uh for injecting some unique and and uh and welcome humor uh into into the franchise i mean marvel's always had it but taika watiti has a special touch we'll probably talk about that uh later this uh, as we, as we discuss the film but the basic premise here is you have thor coming off of his experiences in the avengers uh endgame film where if people bothered to see that film and, and remember what was going on thor kind of left earth with the guardians of the galaxy he was still kind of out of shape right he was out of shape in that movie he was kind of doing his uh impersonation of the dude uh if, if people remember but um but here picking it up as he's been out fighting various battles going on various missions with the guardians of the galaxy it seems we get caught up pretty quickly and what we end up on is more of a side quest for thor where he is um drawn into an adversarial relationship with a figure called is it gore am i getting that right gore yeah yeah gore the god killer played here by christian bale god butcher god butcher thank you um and and it really becomes a battle where you know gore as as his name would indicate is on a quest to kill all the gods to butcher them and thor being a god obviously gets mixed up in that and and has to sort of fight back and, and and try to stop gore on his quest pretty simple premise uh but we are bringing back uh the the character um jane foster dr jane foster who was played by natalie portman way back in that first thor movie um did she make it into the second film i didn't even check yeah okay she was in the second and then took off I think so yeah right um but but here she returns um she becomes the mighty thor uh in that process by taking on mjolnir mjolnir, mjolnir. yeah um 
which uh, which people remember as like Thor's hammer weapon that you know had kind of been fractured apart, and uh, she's able to wield it though because she has that special connection with it uh, that Thor has created. So I, I mean, I've given enough of the basic idea. We get some other little kind of side villains. We do get a bit of Guardians of the Galaxy right at the beginning of the film while he's still with them. Um, fight scenes, a few of them. A lot of use of guns and roses. Let's get into it, guys. What what did you think of Thor colon Love and Thunder? I mean, I I don't know that I'm gonna contribute a whole lot to this conversation because <laughs> I feel like it's just so boring and fucking predictable that like, oh, here he comes. Like he's not a Marvel guy. He doesn't like the movie. Like whatever. Well, you no, know? but it, but it, I and I don't like the movie. Like. At- <laughs> and i just well that's good this is important to talk about no i i'm i'm glad you're here i don't have the exact same take as you but i'm glad that you you this is a necessary discussion we're gonna have so i think that we only talked about this on after hours last week and it's my fault for uh tricking myself into believing something i know to not be true but one of the reasons that we did this was because we were talking last week and after hours and i'm going to blame the barley wine for this uh because last time when we recorded i didn't drink a single beer under 11 percent. so by the time we got hours, <laughs> i was like yeah fuck it let's do thor because i had heard chris gethard put a theory forward that we have this really fun neon 80s metal trailer but because we have gore the god butcher a very dark character uh, who I, I was reading comics when he was created in 2013 by Jason Aaron and uh, read that as it was coming out every month and really liked that storyline um, that I was like, you know, Chris Gather was like, we have this dark villain. What if they just pull the rug out from under everyone and like go super dark with this movie like an hour in and then the last hour of it is just like kind of fucked up. And <laughs> that proposition excited me because I think that right interesting film that is not what this film is like no but i mean christian bale's on screen for like 10 fucking minutes it's insane no you're right you're right we need to talk about that but but there were there were there were smatterings of what you're talking about there were some dark moments in this film yeah they're trying to be it was it's like um you know it's like uh the difference between using full hops and using extract or or (laughs) using extract um not hops malt uh there's the essence of some of these themes there, but not the actual, the, they don't get into the meat of it. But anyway, so the whole reason that I fooled myself into this was the uh, kind of excitement of like, Oh, what if it does do this thing and surprises me? And because I believe in Taika enough, I thought like, Oh, maybe he is the guy with the the stones to do this. Uh, And I tricked myself into it. I went and saw another Marvel movie. I left as <laughs> as I always leave. And it's very, all very <laughs> at this point. It's all very boring, my reaction to these things. And so it's just like, I, uh, I mean, I have a laundry list of problems with this film, but I mean, everyone mm-hmm. knows that already. So what's the point? Joe, what, we thought the same way yeah. uh, yesterday. So what, where did, where did you land on this? Yeah, I mean, you kind of rounded up the context of this. We're kind of not going to be doing many Marvel movies because two of three of us, sometimes three of us, don't get excited just because Marvel Studios is before the film any longer. 
kind of seen it all, right? The Avengers climaxed mm-hmm. uh, very entertainingly. Yeah. Uh, since then, it's been a smattering of this and that. And what's got us into the theater has been the directors. Yeah. We like to watch and follow the directors. So Chloe Zhao, uh, Eternals, sure. Doctor Strange, we we didn't do. Uh, I think we did a different Raimi movies. Which we did two. Was, yeah, we did a, a Raimi protest episode. Exactly. Uh, I think I'm done. I think I'm done. I think I'm done. Done. Uh, I wow. Found, yeah, Wait, I, but this is this is coming from you, and you've probably of the three of us been the highest on a recent Marvel film. You really love the Spider-Man tickle my bum, whatever that one was. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I allowed it to do what the Spider-Man story and mythos is going to do. It's my favorite one. Spider-Man's my favorite. Right, one. right, right. Thor's so will you make, will you make an exception for the Spider-Man? Movies? I don't think that I will because I mean, where do they, a, where do they go from there? And B my biggest thesis today about this movie, yes, we saw Russell Crowe and the gods, the 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 Greek gods, uh, omnipotent city for the first time. Yeah, mm-hmm. and yes, we saw a couple of characters for the first time. But other than that, we saw Christian Bale as this Gore, the the butcher character. But other than seeing some new faces in the universe, what did we see new today? What, what, what did we see? Yes, we saw a rainbow uh, in front of a bo- the, the, our answers <laughs> to the questions. But what did we see new that was so compelling and not just a CGI slop house that compelled you to be interested in really anything that was going on? I, seeing as how I'm almost positive that <laughs> the strongest on this film. But I look forward us, to it. Look David, what it. did you see that compelled you? I, I see a very flawed film that I still did get a kick out of enough of it sitting there in the theater uh, in, in a nice com- comfy seat. I was in a theater with some really nice seats. Sadly, a sound system that was lacking low end, which was a weird experience when those fight scenes kicked in and you cranked up the GNR. Boy, did that not hit as hard as it would have if I had been in a proper theater, a proper sound system theater, but super comfy seats. Um, so that that was a little disappointing. Um, but there's a lot of flaws in this film. I mean, it is. It's getting tiring. I get it. I'm I'm not going to go in on some sort of hard defense of this film. You know, here's the thing. I love Taika Waititi. We, th- this is a, a public you know, public knowledge at this point. Uh, I love Jojo Rabbit. That was one that a lot of people panned. A lot of people hated, right? We, we liked it on this podcast. Yeah. We're going to be talking about another of his films in the second half, spoiler folks, um, that I'm excited to talk about. I said, who could have seen that coming? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, which I'm excited to talk about with you guys. And, and it's just, I like him. I mean, one of my favorite parts of this Thor movie, Ragnarok, is Korg. You know, I like the Korg character. I like him, his voice. I think he's funny. He writes funny lines for himself. He, he like, you know, spits them out well. It, I think that stuff kind of works. It's silly. It's goofy. I like silly and goofy sometimes. Where I think this film stumbles and where I think it could have been maybe that next level kind of like maybe making us excited about the MCU again is where I think there were opportunities to go darker than it did that they should have probably followed through. He, 
it was a tall order, but I think Watiti could have been up to it if he had pushed himself to do it. They flirt with it with the Jane uh, Foster storyline, right? That she has cancer, which ends up coming off just kind of weirdly ham-fisted where you get these like serious moments, you know, nestled between these very goofy, silly moments. And there's really jarring uh, switches to me. Yeah. And that story doesn't ever really amount to anything. Ultimately. Right. I mean, I mean, I guess kind of, but like as far as like spoiler alert, Jane's death, that could have easily been through some act of violence or something like it didn't have to be uh, the terminal illness, you know, I, but I I don't even mind that. I just think it, and here's the thought that came to me when I was trying to figure out where like because I, I did in my mind, I felt like, oh, he kind of blew this. Why didn't. I feel like there's a better way to do this. And I think if they had found a way to integrate that storyline into that origin story for Gore, the first five, seven minutes of this film, I think are really pretty excellent. Um, the the backstory for Gore, where you're seeing him, you know, struggling, wandering through this desert with his daughter who's dying, having to bury his daughter on this journey, but eventually reaching his God, right? Which, what's the name? Do you remember? Was that? name of the god no yeah who's just a total pompous ass i loved that whole concept of the reason this guy turns to god butchering is because he sees how terrible god is right god is this like totally um you know it's a piece of shit right i mean in the tim robinson sense yeah and so that that quickly leads me to my biggest problem with the movie. No butchering. It will not. It's not that there's no butchering. It's that you have a character who at the character's core, their biggest dilemma and motivation is literally the most widely debated philosophical topic in modern Western thought. Right. And mm-hmm. that problem of evil, if God exists and he's omnipotent and he's perfectly good, why do bad things happen? And they do nothing with it. And it is baffling. Well, I th- what what they do with it at the beginning is really interesting. Yes, they set I, it up. You're right. Yeah. The beginning, I, I do agree with you that that opening sequence is great. Yeah. Why, why didn't they follow through with it? And I think the Jane Foster storyline would have been an opportunity to do that. Here you have this woman who's been good and done all that she can to help mankind. And, you know. And wait, she's being punished. You know what I mean? Like God has has uh, dealt her this. Why did we not get into what are the motivations of her God to allow this to happen? Is there some rationale for being able? I think you could have gotten into deep, philosophical, dark topics in creative and even ways that maybe intersect with silliness to a certain degree. Well, in on the count of three was super dark. Yeah funny at times you know like we've seen that balance be struck successfully recently jojo rabbit right and in the absence guys of them going somewhere interesting like that as i say what new did you see it was more of the same kind of cgi and and more criticism that i'm seeing about the mcu of easy setup and then ultimately easy uh denouement after we kind of take care of the situation and they take care of this gore the god butcher by just reminding him that he had a daughter in the last five minutes of the film a tear single tear falls down his cheek and then uh crisis averted terrible and i mean (laughs) absolutely dreadful what they they do in that final sequence but 
to your point, the easy setup, easy, you know, tag, like low hanging fruit type of like writing that's happening here. Um, I have never, I don't think that I can remember have been in a movie opening weekend where everybody is presumably seeing it for the first time and have had people upon their first, first viewing, be able to recite lines of dialogue along with the film because the writing is that predictable. And that ah. The guy sitting next to me, I, I mean, I was doing it in my head and Kylie and I talked after and so was she, but the guy sitting next to me was able to say lines of dialogue out loud with the film, almost in perfect cadence. Oh. You know, he was a little off sometimes, but because it was so predictable what was going to happen. The moment that I knew I was completely out on this film happened in probably the first 15 minutes and it's where... Thor is giving his victory speech and like the temple that he saved is behind him. And you can see it so clearly in the frame. And I'm like, that's going to come collapsing down sure. any second now. And it does. And I was like, okay, I'm fucking done with this. Like I, <laughs> I can't, I, it's so, it was so predictable. The Chris, you know, a Chris Olvetta who uh, I created and uh, you know, writes and co-directs yikes. I were, I think co-directs um, which is a local, web series that if you haven't watched, you should watch. Uh, it's a show called the Ikes. It's very funny. Um, we were talking about it. And when Ragnarok was made and the immigrant song is used, it's like, yes, it's an incredibly famous song. And yes, it's like in that classic rock, like all time songs, you know, kind of pantheon, but it fit the, the, the whole, the song's about Vikings. So it like, fits thor so perfectly and that song so the use of that song makes sense in that movie and even though i don't like led zeppelin and i would never choose to listen to that song it hits hard in ragnarok because it just fits so perfectly i mean it's it was made yeah. paradise city was or no a welcome to the jungle was not made for this <laughs> there is zero there is zero explanation for Guns N' Roses being so prevalent in this movie that you could give me that would satisfy me. I mean, it's so it's, unnecessary. It's popular. It's popular. That's what it is. Now That's what rock. the whole yeah. movie is. It's just like, let's show you. I love people, Guns N' Roses, Let's show though. people you recognize. Let's play you music you recognize. And let's do things that are familiar to you so that it will satisfy your tiny little pathetic brains. Because at, at this point, the MCU sees their audience as stupid. Like they don't their audience as children. I mean, I left well, going, this, this a was a movie. kid's movie. It was. And, and, the, and, the, and it didn't appeal to me. The scene, it 100% it was a kid's movie. And I could see if I was 13, 14, seeing those kids whoop ass at the end, I'd be like, oh, that was sick. Like, right. you know, but as a 30 year old man, I think it's cool that the kids whooped ass because I love an underdog story and who's more of an underdog than like adolescent kids facing like God monsters or God killing monsters. Right, right. But another thing that struck me about that scene with the kids was that to me, there were several moments in this film visually that are of all people ripping off Zack Snyder, like, which on, I mean, forget the fact, I mean, like he, you know, he's the DC guy and that's weird enough already, but the, the, the visual elements that I saw in this that reminded me of him were from 300, which at this point is what a 15 year old film, maybe more. Yeah. And, and every attempt to recreate that style after that was a huge, failure and like now later 
Taika is like pulling from the 300 playbook of like super slow-mo action that almost looks like a slowly moving painting. And it's like, what are we doing here? What is go, what is going on in this movie? And one, one more thing that I have to say, because I think, I think I shot myself in the foot and maybe you guys will agree with me is that I've done two things over the last week. One, I have rewatched Sam Raimi Spider-Man one and two. And the only reason I didn't watch three is because I just ran out of time. Those are good superhero movies. Those are actually really good superhero movies, despite the fact that I don't like Tobey Maguire. I, I agree. The movies themselves are so well done that I can get over my like kind of distaste for his acting and really enjoy those movies. And two, so that's one. And two, I started watching what we do in the shadows. And this morning I finished season one and that's, you know, created by Taika Waititi. Uh, I'm watching the show. I've seen the film before and I'm like, Oh, this is, this is like what Taika is great at, right? right? This is an example of like something he created and something that, you know, he directs some of the episodes and things like that. And, Oh, this is like him being good at humor yeah. because in mm. thunder, I, I didn't, I mean, people around us were just gut bust la gut busting laughter just like cracking up some of the loudest laughter i've heard in theaters in years and kylie and i laughed at two things and when we were walking out and talking about it we're like wait i can't believe that anybody really laughed they were so those jokes were so predictable and so i don't know maybe watching Spider-Man 2, what some people consider one of the best superhero movies of all time before going to see this was a mistake <laughs> and watching better work from Taika before I went to see this was also yeah. a mistake. But that's what that's that's what happened. I did it to myself. I, I just I want to say Tessa Thompson's name uh, yeah. in the in last year in this previous Bammy's episode, our end of the year kind of review. I called passing the biggest surprise movie of the year. Right, right. Her out during the best performance as kind of a runner up. Yeah. She was so good in that. And I liked seeing her get any kind of work. She wasn't underutilized or overutilized here. She was just kind of a character in the vagabond of characters that 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 happened. Yeah. She, she she's a great actress. And I, I, I'm glad to see that she got some work. Yeah, yeah. she's. Uh, I also like her. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's 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 a tough position that I'm in. I'm I'm not at all going to be able to mount any sort of solid defense because I don't think this is a great film. I don't think this is a film that people should really be seeking out. Um, but as I said, I think it's the sort of film that if you go in with those low expectations of, oh, it'll be good for some laughs, but somewhat frustrating and how it sort of misses the mark on certain things, then I guess you could get an okay time at the theater out of it. I went to see it with a group of people, family, and it was a fun movie that was a quote unquote crowd pleasing kind of movie. Now, none of them came out of it thinking it was that great or, um, you know, certainly up in the top, whatever of, of the best Marvel films even. Um, but that, that said, we had an okay time. We talked a little bit about it. Um, you know, yeah, it's not a great film. It's a, it's sad. It's sad to see Taika Waititi and, and Chloe Zhao kind of, I mean, even though I was the strongest defender of the Eternals, you, you both kind of hated it. And, and I couldn't mount a strong defense of that as strong a defense because I think it is a flawed film. It, these 
it's the best that these directors can maybe do with this kind of material um, is this kind of middling ground stuff. It's unfortunate because I do think Ragnarok was a bit of a triumph in that he did inject the silliness into it in a way that I found very palatable. But this does feel like retreads of some of the same gimmicks, like using the hard rock music um, in there, which, you know, again, it's yeah frustrating. And, and I think, I think one thing that we kind of have to realize going forward is that it doesn't matter whose name is attached to it. These are Kevin Feige movies. Like he is the one who has his hand on the steering wheel and you can bring in whatever director you want and put their name on it. No, you know, any, I mean, he could get Martin Scorsese to direct one of these things. Okay. I'd go to that. I'd go to that. Hold on. uh, I mean, I might too, but, but we would go to that and we would be like, okay, we can see, what it would be would be Scorsese trying to escape the marble, but ultimately the sculpture is unfinished because at any time one of these directors comes up to get a breath of fresh air, if I use there to push him back under the marble water and be like this, no, this is the ocean you're swimming in. You can't come up for air because this is what we are. And this is what we do. Hand, hand Don't cuffed, mess with yeah, that. Handcuffed you know? overall narrative that yeah. it's so, so, so important. So could we say that Kevin Feige is Feige, the director butcher? Yes. There you go. Hey, yes. Also, we have to, we have to, we can't not Christian talk Bale's about performance is good though. Roy Kent in the post credit. Ah, yes. I, I said that I felt like the big takeaway from that was, and, and I shared this with my daughters is that, you know, that post credit scene, all that says to me is that Carlos must've been gritting his teeth because he's like, fuck, I'm going to have to see a goddamn Hercules film. No, so before I get to how I felt about that, I did think that Christian Bale's performance is good and he's just not used enough in it. That was my, I thought he was the best part of it. The character was was a great character. He portrayed it well. They could have done a lot more with it. Exactly. Um, but yes, I was. you're right. I was. Or, you're half right. I'm not going to go see that movie. Uh, but I was furious when it happened and I... I normally I'm I'm very anti post credit scene. I think they're fucking stupid, and I just hate the idea of them. So normally, even when I do go see these movies, like I'll leave before they happen. You know, um, I'll, as soon as the credits roll, I'm out. I don't give a shit. Um, but Daniel had told us that I that I personally I think I needed. Well, you said I needed to stay for the post credit yeah. scene. And then Daniel said, at least for the first one, I think you'll really like the first right. one is what he said. And so I was like, okay, I'll stay for at least the first one. And then I saw it and I was just livid. And I'll, I'll tell you why is because literally we just got this man in our lives. Brett Goldstein is a fresh face in the entertainment industry right now. So but he's an old man, get him some money. So far, all we've gotten from him is he he writes you know he was brought on ted lasso as a writer and then you know found a way to found his way into the role the role of roy kent which he's great in he has a fantastic podcast called films to be buried with but we haven't gotten anything else from him yet we haven't seen him write and direct an indie movie yet which i think he could do so successfully we haven't gotten an hour-long stand-up special out of him and he's a pretty good stand-up uh this man with writing the success of ted lasso has so much potential for great content to come out of him for like great art to come out of him. And now he's instantly being swallowed by the Marvel behemoth. 
and is probably locked into some crazy option 10 years. I guess bucket. Hercules is just in a, isn't a property within the Marvel universe that I know of to be super jazzed or excited about. No, but think about And I thought Russell Crowe's Zeus whole thing was cute, but was, dumb. I, thought, I thought it was awful. But, you know, we also have to remember that Marvel you know, is owned by Disney and Disney is the biggest thing ever in the history of everything like they own so much and they have so much money and they'll do anything to keep making billion dollar movies you know yeah yeah, yeah, let's just hope the audience wises up all right i don't think that (sighs) let's talk beer um yeah i was very disappointed uh just a terrible time at the at the the movies thanks so does the beer wash the terrible taste of failure God for Daniel. Thank God for Treehouse Brewing Company. Thank Zeus for Electric Skies because <laughs> we're talking Electric Skies. We got to be talking about the God of Lightning, not the God of Thunder, right? The Thunder is just a noise. Uh, yeah, it, it's great. It's pillowy. It's uh, got a really nice mouthfeel to it. And all of those hops, there's just this exuberant bouquet of hop aroma and flavor in this. Um, and you know, it's a, it's a reasonably fresh can actually, uh, we're talking barely a month and a half. Uh, this was can Memorial day weekend. So really, really pretty fresh. Daniel hooked you up. Nice. Big time. I, the, the visual on that folks, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing it on camera and it looks magnificent. I mean, it's glowing. It is beautiful. It's glowing Beautiful like his eyes. <laughs> well, I have to say this Cranthrax from Mason's uh, Brewing Company, fantastic. I mean, I I have never had a cranberry salt uh, sour ale. It all goes together so well. I mean, cranberry is a delicious fruit, right? We can all agree about that. Um, and it's got that sourness to it. So it works perfectly with the sour ale uh, setup. The sea salt kicks it off. It makes it... Mm, you just keep going in for sip after sip. This is a great summer crusher kind of beer. I feel like um, it's. And did I even say the ABV? I think it's it's a straight five percent. Not bad. Nice, nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that sounds great. We love a summer crusher. Um, yeah. I've been trying to get as much pool time in as possible recently, and that sounds like a float float in the pool. Perfect. Perfect lake beer, perfect pool beer. Happy to have it. Yeah, this one I'm not taking out to the pool. It's a little heavy for that. Gotcha. But, but you know, nice. Get home from work, going to crack a single beer and, you know, after dinner kind of thing, uh, at least for this time of year, you know, summertime. It's, uh, it's Guys, it's fucking hot down here. Oh, my God. I'm, like, honestly pretty pissed at you, David. It is absolutely <laughs> brutal i i'll be back i'll be back for the worst of it don't worry uh, i'm not having a great time don't worry i'll be miserable too carlos <laughs> thank you joe I need right. someone to share in my misery that's why i took kylie to see love and thunder with me <laughs> <laughs> well are we going to share in misery with our family and friends and other people who we watch this next film with or is this one going to allow us to escape to something more truly crowd-pleasing We'll find out in the second half.
All right. Welcome. We are back for another half of the episode. As mentioned earlier, another Taika Watiti film. But as always, we do have to get a little bit more beer going. Uh, and so I'll start things off. I'm uh, I'm sparing Joe this week because um, I know that he's not really that interested in this type of fare. Uh, but I have it Live Oak Brewing Company pre-war pills. It's an early American pilsner. <laughs> So I'm sparing Joe the lager fodder. I enjoyed um, that on Saturday before you arrived. Did you enjoy it? To my birthday party. Of course, it was a gift. You have to enjoy a gift. <laughs> uh, I figured I had a lager in in the hole and yeah. I, I would I would take it down uh, and, and not subject you to it. Well, go ahead and put it in your pie hole. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, I'm sad again because listeners will know i love a good pilsner and man i've had pre-war pilsner you're in for a treat if you haven't had it before um i think this yeah. is the five oak that i've ever had oh wow great i don't think i've had what? before really yeah. okay fantastic i'm excited for you um i am going to be following up my first sour ale with Another sour ale. Um, this one coming to us from Kushnock Brewing Company. They are out of uh, Augusta, Maine, which which is very close to where I'm staying. And this one is called Axis of Sour Triple Berry Fruited Sour Ale. And I believe those three berries that they're using here are blackberry, raspberry, and strawberry. And uh, the, the description on the can, three words. Tart jammy berry very nice i think that uh, this is the first time to have both of these breweries on the show so welcome live oak and what's it called kush kushnock kushnock brewery native american name c-u-s-h-n-o-c well i think that doing a second watiti movie was what even got us to do thor in the first place as long as we have a chance to go back in his filmography and look at something. And, you know, besides Jojo Rabbit, we have not done any of his films. So we had several to choose from. Carlos, you were really interested in the one that we decided to, to do today. It is called Hunt for the Wilder People. It came out in 2016. It is shot in beautiful New Zealand. And I will give as brief a plot synopsis as I can. Uh, Ricky is a young kind of troubled boy who minimally does graffiti played by Julian Dennison. He's been bouncing around the foster system in the new, in New Zealand. And we just basically see him arrive at what is either going to be his forever home or it's to juvie with him. If this doesn't work out, the folks that are trying to make it a go with uh, Ricky are Bella and Hector. Hector heck is played by Sam Neill. Bella, played by Rima Tewaita. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, after some adjustment, things are going reasonably well. But spoiler alert, Bella suddenly dies. And since she was the one that had put this all into motion, they receive a letter saying that Ricky will be put back into the foster system. He decides at that point to run away. Um, Heck is a tracker. He's an outdoorsman, goes and finds him but busts his ankle. They're out for six weeks while that ankle recovers. Cause they're in this, like, you know, they're in the bush, they're in backwood. That's difficult to get in and out and get around. And in that time, a story is concocted or kind of begins to grow in the press that 
the child's been abducted, that he's being molested by this uncle, and they um, decide to kind of make a go of it in, uh, you know, trying to evade being caught while Child Protective Services has got every resource known to man to uh, help from helicopters to huge assault forces looking for these two. And all that said, it is a comedy. I mean, this is very much kind of a heartwarming coming of age family comedy with a lot of that Watiti kind of sense of humor thrown in for good measure. Yeah. Uh, didn't realize the New Zealand police force was as militarized as sure. presented in this Especially film. when they're trying to find an innocent <laughs> young child. Yeah. Um, but I mean, just like straight off the top, Sam Neill, one of the most underappreciated actors of our time. Sure. What a what a gem this man is. I mean, by all accounts, a nice guy never has any kind of like has, uh, to my knowledge, no marks on his record. Uh, everyone that works with him seems to like working with him. And, he, and he's just everything you see him and he's just good. And he's really good in this. Uh, it's a oh, fantastic. He's a you know, he's a grumpy older man who's not really putting up with the the youth's hip hip hop sensibility tomfoolery shenanigans um a very uh you know um honestly (laughs) reminds me of shrek and donkey from shrek (laughs) he's a shrek-esque character he's like get get away from me leave me on my you know i just want to be by myself whatever and get this little twerp kind of following him around like no we're going to do this together and you know whatever um but just I was I'm so glad I watched this after Thor because it was just a really great palate cleanser. I mean, <laughs> love this movie. I cried multiple times. It's like so like it's so funny and like sad and heartfelt. And there's it. it I, I don't know. I just I I thought it was great. I, I really enjoyed it. I'm there with you, Carlos. This is a brilliant little film that I am sad it has taken me this long to to getting around to see. I I feel like I had probably seen the title pop up, and I don't love the title. You do understand it when once you've seen the film, I guess. There is kind of an explanation for this idea, like they they compare themselves to wildebeests, and and especially Ricky, um, you know, kind of comes up with this idea of them as being you know these wilder people on the run, and I, you know, I get it, but I I. I don't love the title. It it threw me off. It really did. I, it felt like this this feels like a cheap movie in a way. I don't know because of the title. So wrong. So wrong. This is a very well made film that thankfully is here to balance my disappointment uh, w- with Thor: Love and Thunder and and YTT there because this reminds me. Yes, this guy is the real deal. He has a unique and special sense of humor that I want to see keep making films and I want him to tell stories like this that are true, truly sort of original stories on his part. I mean, there are beats there that you're going to see in this kind of film, but it's so clever what he does to kind of weave it into this idea of this, you know, national manhunt, them becoming celebrities, this kind of uh, element to it um, that I thought was great. Uh, Julian Dennison as Ricky is fantastic, right? So good. He is. You're right. Um, he and he was great uh in Deadpool too. Uh he he showed up in that. Um he's he's been in a couple of yeah, huh? I don't remember him in that. 
Yeah, um, I'm trying to think, but he he's been in a couple things. I think he's definitely a, a very unique character, um, and, and and would be great. But here as one of the leads is fantastic. Yeah, yeah I would just put it into context. The between the two Thor films, you had Jojo Rabbit, right? So that's 2019. Right. Go back to Thor Ragnarok to two years prior to that. So this is the third feature film that immediately precedes Thor Ragnarok, right? Mm-hmm. And so what there was what we do in the shadows and boy, and then this Eagle versus shark Eagle first versus 2007. Shark. Um, so all that inventiveness, right? Okay, so there is inventiveness. The man can clearly navigate a camera in a bigger budget extravaganza like the two Marvel films that he's done. Well, there's some big shots in this one. There are grabs. I was going to say yeah. you can see him working up to much smaller budget, clearly, right? Yeah. But um, some inventive ways to tell what isn't uh, on its surface the 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 most unique story it's it's uh an elder statesman backwoodsman and a snotty nose punk city boy that has yeah. no experience in in the bush or camping or that kind of thing and you see him kind of transform into be able to, into being able to hold his own in the woods while he's being pursued by several things including a huge wild boar you know, I mean, the, yeah, the, learning how to fire a gun to to kill for food. Yeah. Um, the boar, the boar, though. Yeah. I mean, that that was the first moment where you just get hit in the gut, right? Where the, no, the like, first moment you get hit in the gut is the mom dying. Well, uh, the mom dying, but well, okay, so and how like brilliantly? Oh, they did a great job with that. Yeah, how brilliantly quick it was! Just boom! It, this is we we are going to turn everything on its ear, and what's going to happen to this boy that you've grown fond of? Yeah, I I mean, I agree. So, okay, so I started watching this movie the night before I finished it. And I I only got about 15 or so minutes in before I realized, like, okay, I'm like getting kind of tired and this is not going to go well for me. And I turned it off. When I turned it back on uh, to continue watching it, it was like a minute or two before that happened. So that might be why I am that I didn't. I mean, it was sad, but I'm not taking away the boar scene was still. No, yeah, great. yeah, yeah, gut it, punch. When Bella dies, it, it is very sad, but it was kind of abrupt for me. But but also, I kind of knew that there was an inciting incident coming at that. Like there had to be something. It went. It started like his experience with the family started going too well too quickly. Yeah. And so it was like, okay, something's coming, and it's gonna fuck things up. What's it gonna be? And when it was that, and I was like, oh, this makes sense because Hector's kind of like a crabby guy and is pretty. Yeah. Um, but when the boar scene happens, I mean, first of all, like. It's cliche, but a dog dying in a film is sad. Ooh, that's a tough one. And, and so that happens. But then it's also like that scene is such a mixture of triumph and tragedy because you see uh, Ricky really kind of like hold his ground and like be like truly brave and heroic in the face of like some incredible stakes at that. Like, because he could have died. You know, it's the first time he like really maybe could have like died in an instant. But he stands up to save this guy who hasn't always treated him the best. And then the dog dies and you have to see the dog be put down because uh, there's no way that dog's going to survive. And it's this like moment of kind of the culmination of like the film's like 
grappling with like innocence and like bad things happening to innocent uh, creatures because at you know at that point we've seen a little bit of that with ricky it's like he's just a kid you know and like yes he's mm-hmm. out, but he's at the mercy of like this larger system that ultimately just sees him as a part of that system and you know, he's just an innocent kid and like bad stuff keeps happening to him like you know he didn't get to choose that he was born to a young mother that couldn't handle be you know couldn't handle raising him and you know kind of abandons him and then you see this dog who's just like has been used to hunt, you know, like historically, that's kind of what uh, Hector does with Zag. And so they go chasing the scent or whatever and get in over their heads. And then, you know, this innocent creature, this dog that Hector loves, one of the only things other than Bella that Hector loves at this point, he also loses after having lost. And it's just like, it's this really intense moment where up until that point, it's a lot of like odd couple kind of, back and forth banter and like you know on the run type of stuff and then in that moment all of that kind of humor gets like sucked out of the room like a vacuum and it gets like really emotional really quickly like in the snap of a finger you know what i mean yeah the film is littered with so many impressive visual techniques and humor that got us into the theater this weekend to see that follow up to what I think we largely enjoyed the, the Ragnarok. Yeah. Jo- which, jo- which we didn't get those good visuals in love and thunder. We didn't talk about it in the first half, but most of those fight scenes are a CGI shitstorm. storm. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, Jojo rabbit. We talked about at length when it came out and just that, 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 I mean, clearly almost, almost perverse sense of humor. If you consider on its surface, the, the idea of world war two, Hitler, being a source of humor, it's either going to work real well or it's not going to work at all. And he's got the ability to pull those kinds of things off. Yeah. Interesting visuals here. Montages uh, playing with time when heck uh, the Sam Neil character busts his ankle and they say, well, we're just going to have to hold here for about six weeks or so until this ankle gets healed up. And then I think it's like almost two cut two scenes later there. It's been six weeks. Yeah, they're playing with time here which probably is the case in the bush in New Zealand. That's something that's probably just the time means something different here. That's relayed really well. The montages where um, you see the character in two or three places on the screen during a pan or a a, a wipe from left to right or right to left. I enjoyed so much inventiveness. And then of course, any kind of, I don't know if those were drone shots or helicopter shots of this beautiful part of the world i mean yeah. that's gonna that's i'm a sucker for that hard anytime. to mess that up right it's it's gorgeous you yeah, know that the, the uh, new zealand landscape is you know sort of no, notoriously uh picturesque and and obviously i mean the lord of the rings trilogy was kind of stamped with it uh you know peter jackson shot that uh most of it new zealand so um th- this is beautiful i mean beautiful cinematography um some wonderful aerial shots at times but just great performances and a wonderful um, duo of characters, at, you know, at the core of this film. Like, you know, as you guys have already said, this this boy who's sort of been discarded by everybody and and not cared for, and he finally finds he finally finds his family, and he's kind of robbed of the one who accepts him so readily. Uh, but but Neil as the crusty old man with the heart of gold beneath that that you know that is a trope, and yes. It could be done poorly, but here it is just done perfectly in part because of the performance, in part because of the script. Um, 
And, and, and I was totally caught up in it. I mean, this was one that I watched with, with some family as well. And we all loved it. I mean, this, this was a film that when it ended, we're like, that was fantastic. That, that was a truly great movie. That's, that's what I wish I was seeing it on a big screen. My only regret is watching it at home on Netflix. I know I would have rather had that experience in the theater than Thor love and thunder. I'm almost glad I didn't see it in a theater because you would have heard me sobbing from every corner of the cineplex. <laughs> and I would want to hear those those deep human sobs of yours. Yeah, I, I hear that Carlos sobs as loud as David laughs. So, yeah, so, that would be something. <laughs> well, I'll tell you when that's a true statement as a spoiler alert at the end of this, when Sam Neill's character Hector recites a haiku to Ricky yeah. about his time with Ricky, I lost it. Oh, yeah. That, that moment is, albeit maybe a tad predictable because it's the very end of the film and you know that like there's going to be, there's got to be a moment where he realizes that Ricky is as important to him as he is to Ricky, right? But just the way they do it and like what a running theme the whole haiku thing is, how early it's set up in the film, how much time you spend with that character knowing that's part of his process. And, and that's another thing too is like about this movie is like, is it about like innocence as a larger theme, whether it's the corruption of innocence or like the uh, struggle to maintain one's innocence when all the odds are against that kind of thing? Like, yeah, it's about that. Yes, it's about chosen family, but it's also about learning things from unexpected places. I mean, like you have this really interesting dynamic between Hector and Ricky where because of Ricky's life experiences, he's much more uh, emotionally in tune with himself than yeah. He's well, he's gone through therapy. He's much more emotionally literate. I mean, he is actually more literate than Hector is, which is a thing that comes up is that Hector can't read. It's true. Uh, but he is so much more capable of dealing with his emotions. And, it's such an it's such an interesting thing to see you play out on screen. This small child, like you know, border. I mean, seemingly prepubescent child, almost like teaching a grown ass man how to deal with one's emotions. You know, like there, uh, there's the whole like, uh, I guess like kind of subplot of you know, Ricky brought Bella's ashes along with them on this trip. Yeah, when he was just going to kind of pack them away. He was just going to put them in a box and leave them. Ricky mm -hmm. brings them. And then once he realizes that Hector is in a place where, you know, he can deal with it and that, and they're, you know, they're on top of this, you know, kind of mountain or, you know, at this pool kind of close to the sky as, as Bella had, had referenced earlier in the film, uh, you know, he, he realizes like, okay, now is the time I'm going to help him deal with this grief. Uh, and, you know, they spread her ashes up there and everything. I mean, it's just like all of the beats are there. All of the and plenty character. of comedy too, though. It, no, it's fun. It's yeah. funny. I know I'm kind of harping on the more, more emotional stuff because that's the stuff that kind of like lingered with me the longest, but, but this is, this is exactly why love and thunder is such a disappointment because this is what Watiti does so well is he takes darker themes and is able to weave them together with humor in ways that are profound and deep and totally palatable and 
So, you know, you're right, Carlos, to be highlighting some of this really sad stuff that goes on in the film because it's there for for sure. And it, and it hits hard. But the humor is incredible. And these performances are incredible. And Bella, I mean, I know we've already mentioned her, but, you know, Rima Tewiata, I, I, if I'm getting that name even near correct, um, does an outstanding job. She's only in the film for 10 minutes and totally nails it to the point where you feel the depths of sadness that Ricky and Heck must feel. And you're, you're seeing that scene between them that you've just talked about where he reveals that he has the ashes and they spread the, I mean, oh, I mean, that's perfection. That's that's like next level filmmaking. And I and one of the things that is impressive about the movie is how uh, how much they're able to accomplish with a small amount of screen time for her. And there is like there's the scene, which I think is part of the trailer, even that just in 45 seconds, like attaches you to this woman in a way that is nearly impossible to do in such a short amount of time. But when she like sings Ricky, that like birthday, I think again, ah. the birthday song, it's like it, it and Ricky sings with her. <laughs> it, it doesn't last that long, but in that moment, like, you know, everything you need to know about this woman, you're just as attached to her as Ricky becomes like, I mean, it's just such economical storytelling and it's just so good. No, you, you know, everything you need to know about this character when Ricky, who has just moved there and is going to be withdrawn and sullen as you would imagine to be, imagine him to be, she says, I left a hottie in your bed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can't, I can't remember if that's exactly what, but a hot water bottle. I knew it. She, yeah. yeah, yeah. Those old fashioned ones that your grandma might've had mm -hmm. they're like a rubber rectangle. Then you put hot water. I had in to it Google it what it warms was. you up yeah. uh, in a cold setting or when he, as you would expect the first night that he's there, uh, tries to run away at nighttime. It gets about 200 meters. They say away from the farm. Yeah. She well, finds so him the next morning and says, come eat breakfast. You can run away again after you. <laughs> yeah. And then, Oh, what I thought you were going to say is when she's putting him to bed and is like, and is like, are you going to run away tonight? And he's like, oh, I don't know. I'm thinking about it. She's like, well, as long as you're home before breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, and I there's, think she gives him a kiss for the first time. Yeah. There's the just cheek. so she does so much and yeah. with such little Lovely. screen time. And, and yeah, I mean, you know, there's so many great comedic moments in this movie too. Like, you know, uh, the Skucks life chose me. Right. Uh. <laughs> Uh, and then and then not to mention, like the one thing I could have lived without is like the the title cards, like the chaptering of it all was kind of like, yeah, it was yeah. a little unnecessary, a little right. unnecessary. I wasn't mad at it, but I was just like, I don't know if we needed this, but uh, I, I kind of like I like the rhythm that it established. I like that there were these little kind of breaths that you got to take as, as it was transitioning. But yeah, I mean, it helps the pace of the movie because because there are so many chapters, the film is then like divided so many times that like it's almost like you're hitting benchmarks where you're like okay cool oh, okay cool you know it's like telling the audience like and now something else is happening and now there's a yeah so I, I guess that kind of helps the film move along really well but the scene the, the sub uh chapter that's uh, i think it's chapter eight the knack when ricky's yeah. on and uh and you're just like okay, what's he going to do? You know, let's see it. And, you know, he figures it out on his own and he survives on his own. And like, heck, you know, Hector has given him all these skills to be able to do it. And then all of that is wrapped up so neatly at the end when he hot wires that truck 
And Hector's like, how did you start this thing? And he's like, the knack. And you're like, oh. and that's that <laughs> type of like, you know, full circle screenwriting that is so satisfying to watch and makes this movie such a joy to watch is that everything there's no loose ends. Everything ties up every like through line or, you know, motif or whatever is there for a reason. It's there in service of the story. It's in service of the characters. Like we know who all of these people are and fucking Reese Darby showing up is, I mean, he is, you know, Aside from Jermaine Clement, maybe one of the best, I think the second best Taika Waititi collaborator that he has, because he's been in, you know, several, he's, he's a werewolf in what we do in the shadows. Uh, he's the manager Murray in Flight of the Concords. You know, he is this guy who is kind of becoming a character actor in his own right. He's popping up in things. He popped up in Jumanji as like the non-playing character that kind of guides them through in the beginning. But every time he shows up on screen in anything, he's so funny. Uh, I, I just think he's like such a good comedic performer and he's so good as Psycho Sam. Uh, oh, hello. wonderful. Uh, I was, And as soon as I saw him, even though he had that huge beard and, you know, was a fucking bush or whatever, I was like, that's Reese Darby. There he is. Like, you know, he showed up. Yeah. You know, I oh, really enjoyed that too. He is totally a favorite of mine. No, I mean, I, I love seeing him show up in anything that he, he shows up in. Uh, loved him as Murray. I think Murray was the first character I ever saw him as, but uh, you know, every time he shows up in one of what TT's films or uh, you know, anything just, pure gold so yes it was if if anything i just wish there could have been more room for him but i wouldn't want the character to take up more because i so loved heck and uh and uh ricky yeah you know that's it's interesting i mean with with big broad characters like that you know the, the kind of like oddly paradoxical thing about them is that you feel like you want more of them, but if you got more of them, you'd be like, I didn't need to see that much. You know, it's like, and so that's, that's one of those things is that balance of being able to keep people wanting more, not giving them to, I mean, it's a fine line, you know what I mean? Uh, And I actually, uh, I was listening to, I I mentioned it last week, I think on the podcast, uh, this other podcast called household faces. Uh Uh-huh. John Ross Bowie host. I listened to Diedrich Bader on that huh. podcast today. And he was talking about how like in movies, he tends to play these big, broad kind of over the top characters and how you can kind of do that in a film when, you know, someone like his character in office space only is there for maybe five or 10 minutes total. But if he tried to play that same character in a sitcom, which he's done a lot of as well, like, you don't want to see that character every week in your living room. You know what I mean? Right. It's that kind of balance that you strike with some of those, those bigger performances like Psycho Sam, for instance. That is a good point. You know, that I, I do think that there are certain characters that are much more uh, accessible and, and acceptable in small doses versus seeing them on a series. You can really tire of them. So yeah, that, that, that's a good point. Yeah. It, it, and wasn't something that I'd really thought that much about, but it was when it was actually the host, a John Ross Bowie that had kind of pointed out, he was like, you know, I feel like there's movie Diedrich and there's TV Diedrich. Uh, and 
I feel like you do different things in each one. And I was curious about that. And that's when he kind of explained like, oh yeah, if I'm like doing a movie and I'm there for a day or I'm there for a week, like I can do those bigger things, but that every week for nine years on a sitcom, you know, a sitcom can run for a long time. Yeah. It's a little more. Yeah. I want to do that all the, you know, right. I hadn't really ever, ever. Well, you know, I think, I think the bottom line is, we all love this film and and it and it's a film that's out there on Netflix and I feel like there are lots of other people who probably like me balked at the title it's misleading I don't know it feels like it's going to be this like I for some reason I thought it was going to be like a mockumentary about searching for like a, a cryptid you know a, a Bigfoot or something like that and I thought the same thing. And I, you know, I'd seen it on Netflix a bunch of times and I put it off and my buddy Colin has been telling me like, dude, you got to watch this. You got to watch this for like, I don't know, six, seven, eight months. Uh, and I'm like, oh, get Colin a- is right. Get around to it. And then I, I was talking to him. It was, I think it was like the day after, maybe two days after we had decided we were going to do it. And I was like, Hey, like we decided that we're going to do hunt for the wilder people on the pious. And he was like, finally, you're going to watch it. And I was like, Hey, hold on, hold on. I campaigned for it. Like, I was like, we need to do this one. I've heard <laughs> it. it was like, well, it's about time. And I was like, Oh yeah. I mean, you're right. You're right. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I am, I'm, I'm glad we did it. I think it's going to motivate me even more to finally go and watch boy and Eagle versus shark. Eagle versus shark was another one that popped up on Netflix all the time. And I just never watched. I, I, I don't know why, but um, got to kind of complete the canon at this point. Right. You know, you got to, and, and you know, I would even say j- just throwing it out there. Um, there's a great short film that he did that actually got nominated for the Oscar uh, back in, was it 2003, 2004? Uh, definitely worth seeking out. Uh, it is called two cars, one night. 2004. Interesting. Well, Joe, any closing thoughts on Hunt for the Wilder People? I I didn't love it. I mean, you said we all. Oh, I didn't love it. Really? I liked it very, very much. I recommend it highly. Okay, fine line. You 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 kind of you you kind of hid your uh, your cards there. I don't know. You you didn't come out. You guys were talking so eloquently and so wonderfully <laughs> that I I just let I let it go. But I just all three of us loved it. I liked it very very much. And you're right. So liked it very very much. Would recommend that you see this film versus I loved it. What's the difference? <sighs> they seem very close to one another. There were a couple of things that I would tweak or change that kind of I would love to bumped it down. I, well, for one, I enjoyed the um, the CPS. We call it CPS down in Texas. Uh, the child protected right right uh employ the female lead employee i liked her at the beginning i did not like that her craziness at the end it it kind of was like a you know i thought it was i thought it was kind of funny how wrapped up in it she got and she like started to like really kind of see herself as more like she 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 forgot her station in the world right <laughs> you know there is uh when they are on the lamb and they go to a hunter's lodge and the hunters show up it escalates way too rapidly it felt like a plot point that was just kind of being oh but that was hilarious i, mean, I, I thought there were I thought, funny parts there it just it just escalated very very rapidly i thought ricky in their minds like it you know to them ricky straight up said to them Again, he's molesting mind. me. Yeah. <laughs> in no uncertain terms, I'm being molested. Right. So it makes sense. Like, I think if a kid told me that, I exactly. Would- and it, 
oh, hold on, hold on. You know, I'd get, I, I think it would escalate pretty quick, but you know, little, little things, okay. little, little touches that I kind of like hmm. weren't quite as polished for me. Okay. I, I didn't even want to say it. I shouldn't have said anything. Everybody no, knows. no, you should be honest. But yeah, I, but I do think there are weak criticisms that our viewers, our listeners will will see through very quickly and know that Carlos and I have made the proper assessment. Probably the, why probably why I didn't even bring them up. I, I knew it was a little flimsy. Let's just well, be honest. But, well, but uh, but even with your small, I would I would call them pet peeves. Your conclusion is that everybody should see it. Our listeners, if you have not seen this film, should see it. I think this is a movie that would appeal to a broad audience. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think I think large age range, family. I mean, this is a this is a film about family. This is a film about finding family, what it does for you, who you can be with. Oh my god, I lo I love that relationship between Heck and Ricky. I'll never get over it. I love those two characters. Two cars, one night. I'm seeing David is on uh, YouTube right now. It's 11 minutes long. I watch it after this, uh, but uh, so most of us, we either loved it or really liked it. I mean, I, th I almost feel like it's splitting hairs saying that we totally. didn't all love it. Um, David, did we love the beers that we're drinking? I'll tell you right now that I loved mine. Ooh, yeah. Kushnock Brewing Company out of Augusta, uh, Maine. I've had a few of their beers before I've enjoyed them. I don't think I had had a sour before this though. They nailed it. This is so delicious. And it's actually even lighter than my first beer. It's only, is it four and a half percent? Yeah, 4.5. Beautiful, easy drinking. This is like, this is the episode about summer beers, summer popcorn movies. Unfortunately, maybe a little disappointing one. But this beer, summer popcorn beer, no, I wouldn't eat it with pop. I wouldn't drink it with popcorn, but a summer beer for sure. One that I would love to have all the time. Yeah, definitely. I I, I really wish that we uh, would start seeing some live oak uh, distributed down here. You're I, pretty impressed with the pre-war pilsner. Want it in my fridge at all times. This is my. This is a grill and chill beer. You know what I mean? Perfect. And and you guys, I, I, I maybe you guys don't know. I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast, but now that we've hit the summer months, the grill and chill is my vibe. Like I'm living that grill and chill life these days. Uh, and that's the life that I want to be living. Uh, that's the life I want you to live. And a pre-war Pilsner, in my mind, you, you could not have a better grill session than if you had a six pack of that waiting for you. Yeah, it's definitely a prime grill and chill beer. Um, but, you know, Aside from my favorite things about beer, one of my favorite things about this podcast, this show, is that the conversation doesn't end with episode ends. You can find us on all of your favorite social media channels to keep the conversation going. How did you feel about Thor, Love, and Thunder? I, I have a feeling I'm going to have a very robust conversation with Josh about this the next time I see him IRL, which will most likely be tomorrow night. Um, I feel there's going to be a lot of discussion about a movie of this stature. Uh, and you can have that discussion with us on all of your favorite social media channels, Twitter at beer movie show, Instagram at beer in a movie, Facebook.com slash beer and movie TX. Uh, I've been saying this a lot uh, here more recently, but beer and a movie podcast.com really is the home base for all things beer and a movie. You can find uh, a link to our Patreon uh, where we have a bonus episode every single week for only $5 a month. That's patreon.com slash beer and movie podcast. Uh, we talk about movie and film, but we talk about a great many other things too. TV, uh, the music we're listening to, what's going on in our lives, uh, you know, current events, things like that. 
Again, it's only $5 a month and you get a bonus episode every single week. Uh, you can also find the link on our website to our Discord channel uh, where we're sharing the beers that we're drinking. We're having, we're furthering the discussion uh, on each week's episodes. We're talking about the other movies they're watching and uh, what movies y'all are watching that we should be watching as well. I know uh, Kyle was in there today talking about uh, the story of Ricky O, I believe is what it's called. A movie I haven't seen in a very long time, but want to revisit uh, and there's also a link to our merch store, tpublic.com slash user slash beard movie. You can get t-shirts, you can get mugs, stickers, all sorts of stuff over there. Uh, you know, in a couple of months, I'll probably have to cop a hoodie for the uh, colder weather when it finally comes around. I just can't stop thinking about when that's going to happen because it's fucking hot. Um, and if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps the algorithm do what it do and put us in front of more beer and movie lovers out there in the world. Uh, leave a written review if you so choose. Maybe I'll review your review if anybody does it. It's been a while since we've had a written review, but I would love to review a review. Beer in a movie, longtime beer in a movie listeners know it's one of my favorite things. And I didn't even bother mentioning the Rotten Tomatoes rating on Thor Love and Thunder. I stayed away from it because I know how you guys feel about it. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's positive though, right? The, the- it's 68%. It's not great. Um, but this has been uh, another godly episode of Beer and Movie. Until next time. Trees, birds, rivers, sky. Running with my Uncle Heck. Living forever. Mm-hmm.